My friend uh, Phil is the deacon in his church. It's a, it's a church plant in the heart of New York City. And uh, he's, I'd say he's a spiritual young man. Um, he has an evident love for the scriptures. And his day job, uh, interesting enough, is he's a bike courier in, uh, in New York City. And I, for a single young guy, it's an exciting way to make a living darting in and out of traffic. Uh, delivering your packages, and as part of his work, he often finds himself delivering to government buildings. And one of them that he delivers to from time to time that's relevant to our story this morning is he delivers, actually delivers to the UN uh, from time to time. And being an outgoing guy, he knows some folk there in, the, in, the, in different areas of the UN. And uh, being observant, he recognizes a whole lot more than he knows. Um, but one day, at the end of a long day of dodging cars and delivering mail, he's, he's starting to bike home to his apartment, which is on the east, east side of the downtown, uh, the city there. And uh, I don't know about you, do you ever pray about how you're, what route you're supposed to take to get home? You know, you ever, you get, if you're like me, you have multiple routes to get home from, from the office, and sometimes you just kind of wonder, well, Lord, which way should I go? You know, for me, should I go up Capitol or should I go the scenic route up through Youngsville and over, over to my house? And um, Phil was, this is one of those days where Phil's praying about that. He's just praying, Lord, how, how should I go home today? Because if you're on a bike, you've got lots of ways that you could get home. And uh, even though he lived to the east, on this particular day, everything seemed to be steering him in the, in the opposite direction, really, kind of a northerly, uh, northeasterly direction. Uh, there were roads that were closed that he normally took. Um, traffic made turn lanes virtually impossible for him to get through the lights in the way that he needed to go. And then he says, oddly enough, there was this crazy homeless guy uh, just looking at him and pointing north. Just staring Phil down as he drove by and pointing north. So he figures, I may as well go north because it's a beautiful day. And honestly, he says he had kind of a prompting that, that that's what he should do. Just sensed that the Lord wanted him to do that. So uh, that's what he did. He heads north uh, on his bike out along the Hudson. He has no idea why. He has no idea where exactly he's headed. It's away from his apartment. And uh, on his way out of town, he approaches a, a light. And a couple of cars ahead, he sees... Uh, a limo with diplomat tags. And uh, as he's sitting there at the light, he has that same sensation as when the crazy homeless guy pointed and told him to go north. And the sense he has now is pull up alongside the limo. So he's on his bike, he's in traffic, and this is the sense that he has. So Phil does. And as he gets up next to the limo, he does kind of a double take because he hears that the window on the limo is down in the back and he hears somebody reading from the Bible in the back of this car with the diplomat plates. And so he leans in, he actually leans in the car window and says, uh, excuse me, are you reading the Bible? And there's a face that appears and he recognizes the guy. He's a finance minister from a North African country at the UN. And the guy says, uh, excuse me? And now it's starting to get really awkward, right? The guy on his bike is leaning his head in the limo saying, are you reading the Bible? And he says, 
uh, Phil kind of mumbles, you know, I just, I, I thought I heard you reading the Bible. Um, I just wondered if yeah, you were reading the Bible. He's yelling back and forth in the stoplight at this point in time, hoping the light's going to change and the awkwardness will just drive off. But the, the finance guy, the minister, um, he says, uh, yes, that was me, but I'm afraid I, I don't understand what I'm reading. And Phil, he says, you know, I read the Bible a lot. I told you he was an outgoing guy. He says, I re- read the Bible a lot. Maybe I could help. And so they actually, the limo pulls off to the shoulder, and uh, they throw Phil's bike in the trunk, and Phil gets in the back of the limo, and they start driving around the northern part of the city and Phil's explaining the Bible to him. And the passage that he was reading from was uh, honestly one that's, uh, to a new Bible reader, hard to figure out. Um, Isaiah 53. It talks about the suffering servant of God um, who, who would, was, would suffer and would die. Um, and Phil helps him understand that that's about the Messiah sent from God to suffer for the people's sins and that even die for their sins, and that, that that Messiah was Jesus. And so they drive around for a long time, and as they drive along, they pass this uh, small uh, park that overlooks the Hudson River there, and uh, the guy turns to Phil and says, look, there's water here, why can't I be baptized? And so the limo pulls into the park, and he gets out in his diplomatic guard, his real expensive suit, throws his jacket off, they walk down in the water, Phil baptizes the guy in the Hudson. Um, just outside of the, the city there. And uh, that to me is an absolutely amazing story for a couple of reasons. Um, one, because it's true. And secondly, because it's in your Bible. Um, okay, I updated it just a little bit, but it's in Acts chapter 8. I'm not kidding you. Look in your Bibles. Open your Bibles and look in them at Acts chapter 8 starting in verse 26, and a more dated version of the story I just told you is there. Um, Let me me read it for you in in its original setting. Starting in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Told you. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? 
for his life is taken away from him. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to see water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. It's... That's an amazing story, and it's a true one. Um, and in fact, what, what, I want you to, what I want you to grasp this morning is that really both those stories are true in the sense that God was and is drawing men and women and boys and girls to himself in really remarkable ways. Okay? It's not just an ancient story. This is our story. It's the story of some of your neighbors and your co-workers and your friends. It's a story that's playing out by the sovereign love of of God in their lives. So um, I want to walk back through the story and look at their three characters in the story. Each of them has something to say to us. And I'd, and I'd like us to just listen to what they might say to us today. So let's pray, and then we'll walk through it together. Father, in your kindness, we hold the Bibles in our lap, and we, we shoot it up on the screen. And in an equally great mercy, the Spirit of God indwells us to help us grasp its significance for life. And so we pray, Spirit, have unfettered, unlimited access to us today. In these moments, may our mind be attuned to your word. May we have ears to hear and faith to believe. And we recognize that these are gifts you give, and we ask for them now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, three characters in this story. They each have something to say to us. And the first of those characters is God. I would say, based on all of my theological training and experience, that God's at work in this story. Wouldn't you say? You guys, you're picking up on that? Took lots of Greek and Hebrew to figure that out. I think God's at work in this this story, in this man's life. God is exercising his sovereign lordship in remarkable detail to bring the good news about Jesus to a man who's riding in a chariot away from Jerusalem in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. God is pursuing a man he loves with remarkable intent, detailed intent, such that an angel is dispatched to a messenger to send him to that desert place. And there are more directions given him from the Spirit of God to run up alongside a particular chariot when he gets there. And in that chariot sits a man whom God has lovingly set his crosshairs on, a man from another country, another culture, a place far away. 
likely southern Egypt or perhaps Sudan in North Africa. And in this man and in his story, the unstoppable promise of the spread of the gospel is playing out just like Jesus said it would. Remember when we started our study in the book of Acts, we read this verse, Acts 1.8. It kind of summarizes the whole book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Um, And we've been watching it unfold in the book of Acts in ever-increasing circles as we've studied the book. We're now at chapter 8, but we saw it start with a little band of believers squeezed into one room in in Acts chapter uh, 2. And then thousands of Jews in Jerusalem at the end of of Acts chapter 2 came to believe in Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 8, the the very beginning of the chapter we're looking at today, we saw that um, the church were all, it was all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, okay? So the church is being scattered by persecution at this point in time. Now the good news of Jesus is coming to this African man in a chariot on a desert road. You know, when we, when we talk about the ends of the earth, we might talk about where we just sent Jeremy Wren, who one time told me he would never leave the state, Okay. Papua New Guinea. Can that probably be like the ends of the earth? You might, you might think of uh, Timbuktu or someplace like that. But when they talked about the ends of the earth in the first century, as I understand it, they were talking about Ethiopia. There's actual uh, scenarios where they, when they said the ends of the earth, that was Ethiopia. That's as far as, as they could imagine. So um, God here is keeping his promise as he's pursuing a man he loves who represents a people who are yet to hear. And historians tell us that this man, um, the, the, the best we can tell, he, he went back to his country and he spoke of Christ there. Some of the stories even have him leading his queen to faith in Christ and she spreading the gospel throughout that land. I mean, these are uh, obviously stories of Questionable history, but they are there. But this is the heart of God. Okay? This is the heart of God that all people should hear and have a chance to believe in the message of Jesus. Okay? And it's, it's playing out in this man's life. And, um, it's the heart of God. It, it is to be ours. Okay? This is to be our heart as God's people. That the privilege that we have this morning would be had by every people on earth. And that's why this morning, remarkably, this morning, this month, okay, in January, we have a group of people currently in Portugal, sent from North Wake. They just left. Uh, the Divinis are leading that trip. Um, you heard about we have a group, Jeremy Wren and, uh, uh, is it the Enix? That are in um, Papua New Guinea right now. Um, Greg and Paige Matthias are on a short-term trip in, in Thailand right now. Uh, Zach is about ready to get on a boat and go to China uh, right now. Um, Mark just got back from China. Uh, in eight days, I leave for India. Um, God, is, God is pressing us as a church. Believe me, the elders did not sit down and map this out. 
Okay, we're not this smart. God is pressing us to the nations because he loves them. And we are the Phillips that he has called to go. This is the heart of the Father. Is it yours? Okay. You are in a remarkable scenario. If, if North Wake is your church home, you have a remarkable opportunity to connect with one of some 35 missionary families throughout our nation and around the globe and let them pull your heart towards a place that you've never seen before. Maybe you'll never have a chance to see. I don't know. But I would love to see every family at North Wake meaningfully connected with one of our missionary families. So you pray for them and you are mindful of their needs before the Father and maybe you even have a chance to go visit them. Is your family connected? It has a chance to enlarge your heart for the world like the Father's. Because the gospel, we see it here, it's spreading to the ends of the earth just as Jesus promised. The heart of God is for all peoples to hear and have a chance to believe the good news about Jesus. And in the process, this message of Jesus is breaking through all kinds of barriers. This man in the chariot was probably a very wealthy man. Um, he was... Uh, Finance minister of the nation of Ethiopia would be a good way to describe him. He was in charge of all the queen's treasure. Uh, the chariot really was the limo of the day. Uh, ordinary people did not ride in chariots. Okay. And so it's tempting for us to think that the rich, the powerful, the celebrities, they don't have a need for the gospel. You will never meet someone in any station of life who does not have a need for the gospel. No one is too together for it, too rich for it, too beautiful for it, too content without it. Everyone you meet needs this gospel. Okay? Jesus told a parable where he specifically targeted this kind of people, the wealthy and the powerful out of loving concern for them. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, he's talking to his disciples, he says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You will never meet anyone so rich, so beautiful, that they do not have need of the mercy that Jesus bought for them on the cross. Okay? There is a gospel for all people, all cultures, all nations, all classes, and it is it's the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Okay. It is also a message for all races. Um, 
it is almost certain that this man from Ethiopia was a black African, okay? And in seeking this man, God is offering the gospel of Jesus to someone of a decidedly different race from the Jewish people. Okay. And, uh, and we, dare, we dare do no less, okay? Racism keeps finding a hiding place in the church, I ran across a, um, a quoted sermon by a, a church leader, and I am shocked, but these are his words. He, he's writing of African Americans, and he says, It was never in God's plan of salvation to include them. Primitive people are controlled and limited by their environment, as are animals in the world. Primitives are what they are for the same reason that all life forms are what they are, their genetic makeup. Why has the white race excelled far above all other races as the most beautiful, most intelligent, most charitable, most civilized, most creative, and most godly people on earth? It's because God called everything after their own kind, respecting the divine laws of nature, called it good. God said we were a holy people, chosen and special above all people that are on the face of the earth. You may never have heard more profane words spoken from our pulpit. Okay? And of course, we, we would never ascribe to that kind of nonsense, right? We would never buy into those kinds of divisions. Um, but I wonder if we might say, I hope they don't move into my neighborhood. I'm not sure I want my children to play at their house. I really don't like the idea of them dating my daughter or my son. Maybe it'd be better if they didn't attend my small group. Would, would we be any less likely, even slightly hesitant, to extend the care and the hospitality and the grace that speaks of Christ to someone simply because they are different from us, they are a different race than we are? We dare not. We betray Christ when we do that. Because what you see here on that desert road is that in that chariot, two men of different races became brothers in the waters of baptism. And all divisions, all barriers were overcome. See, the gospel here, the good news about Jesus, is engaging all peoples, all classes, all races, because the love of God is too great to be confined amongst any one race or one class. This is the heart of God that the church transcend matters of race because we love as we've been loved. This is the heart of God. Is this your heart? When was the last time you had someone of a different race than you in your home? Just to enjoy a meal or an evening together. Do your children know by your actions that you refuse to discriminate 
at all on the basis of race. You refuse. In the name of Christ, you refuse. Surely this is, this is a God story. God is the first and primary actor in our story, and his love is proving to be unconstrained by nationality or social status or by race. The love of God is, is for all peoples. Now, the, the second player in our story is, is Philip, right? Phil the bike messenger. Um, all we really know about Philip is that he was one of the seven um, who were chosen by the apostles back in Acts chapter 6 to serve the widows. And as such, the qualifications for being one of those men chose to serve these widows in the distribution of food is that um, they were to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Now, we also know from the beginning of this chapter and the, and the end of the last one that he was, he, was driven, he was one of those driven from Jerusalem by persecution, and he went to Samaria and he preached Jesus, and God worked miracles through him. Um, here you see it in, in chapter 6. It says, what they said pleased the whole gathering. Excuse me. They chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and they chose Philip, um, Amongst those six, and the, it says they sat them before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. In Acts chapter 6, and evidently I don't have that scripture here, it says Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. This was after he was driven out by persecution. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. Many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in that city. He was ready um, to be used, Philip was. He had a grasp of the scriptures such that when he was invited up in that chariot, he could start at Isaiah 53, the prophecy of the suffering servant, and he could take this man from there to Jesus. He was ready to be used. Even, even when the hardship of persecution drove him from his city, um, he went along the way in Samaria um, preaching the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus with people. But the most significant thing that I think we see about Philip in all of this is that he was quick to obey. Okay? He gets these crazy uh, one-step-at-a-time promptings. Um, Go, go to the desert. Follow the desert road. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know why he's going. Just a direction. A desert road heading out of the city. And he obeys. Okay. He does it. He doesn't know what would happen when he approached that chariot. I don't even know if he exactly knew why he was approaching the chariot. The Spirit of the Lord just said to him, go up next to that chariot. And so... You have to love what it says. He ran to that chariot. Okay? Um, Philip obeys. He obeys. He's invited up into the chariot. He accepts the invitation. He's obedient 
and ready to be used by God. Will you obey God in what he is asking of you? When I ask that question, is there anything that gives you pause? I know some of you might say, well, you know, if an angel came to me and showed up to me, yeah, you betcha, I'd do whatever the angel said, okay, if I had like an angel show up. Or if the Spirit of God spoke to me, yeah, of course, I would do whatever the Spirit of God said if the Spirit of God spoke to me. Um, and so I would say, well, what if he wrote it down for you? How would that work? What if the Spirit of God wrote down for you what he wanted you to do? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Be generous in every way. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? This is the will of God, that you abstain from sexual immorality. It's written down for you. Those are all direct quotes from the Bible. God's will. Spirit of God wrote it down for you. So now we're back to our question. Will you obey? Will you obey what God is asking of you? Really? Specifically in light of our story, will you obey God when he prompts you to speak of his son Jesus to someone? Will you obey? Will you step out of your comfort zone, whether that be class or race or culture or around the world or across the street? Will you, when God prompts you to speak of his son, will you obey? And it's interesting. Philip had no knowledge of what God had already been doing in this Ethiopian man's life before he said yes to God. He didn't know. We're going to see God been at work, evidently, in this man's life. Philip had no knowledge of that. He just obeyed. And for some of you, honestly, you are not ready to obey God. You are not ready. You have not been drawing near to God sufficiently. You've not been in the Scriptures sufficiently. You haven't trained yourself how to speak of Christ from the Scriptures. And so um, it's coming in February to a small group near you, this little study called Pep Talk that Rob Craig, our outreach pastor, has put together for us. It will be in a small group near you. You should, you should go through this study. This will help you be ready to speak of Christ. Okay? Um, and that will be coming uh, in February to all of our small groups. So, from Philip, we're pressed with the question, am I willing, am I ready to obey God? Especially when he wants me to speak of his son to someone. Am I willing to step outside of my comfort zone, maybe to people who are very different than me, and speak of Christ lovingly to them? There is a third person in our story, um, and this man is described as the Ethiopian eunuch. He's forever known in history. We don't even know his name. He's the Ethiopian eunuch. That's his legacy. 
He's from Africa. Um, likely that's somewhere near modern-day Sudan. Evidently, he served as something akin to the finance minister of the entire nation. He was a wealthy black man from Africa who was a eunuch. Um, now, eunuch meant, I'll put it as discreetly as possible, uh, he had been neutered. And uh, parents, you can explain that to your children when, when they get home. Uh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> But it was also used in a non-literal sense of certain slaves and servants. It almost, uh, some historians say that it almost become equivalent with the word treasurer. To be the eunuch was to be the treasurer. And it didn't always refer to a physical um, neutering, as, as we've said. Um, but if you research this on the internet, if you look up the Ethiopian eunuch today... Uh, not 15 years ago when I taught this passage before, but if you did it today, uh, the number one question about the Ethiopian eunuch is, is he gay? Is this an affirmation of a gay man coming into the church, being received by the church? And, um, you know, it's possible uh, that there were some eunuchs who were what we would call today gay, um, that, however, with this man is an unknowable, unanswerable question about this man. It's not required by the use of the term eunuch. It's not what it means um, in most cases. And there's nothing in our story to imply that that's what it means. Um, that just doesn't seem to be the point of his eunuchness in our story. But if he were... I would just say that the gospel would be no less needed by him or available to him, and Philip would be no less happy to climb into that chariot to share it with him. Okay? He said it's a really a non-factor, a non and that much we can say for sure. Most likely here, it seems to me that we actually have a eunuch probably in that literal sense of a, of a physical eunuch. And as a result of that, you may remember a study we did in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, I preached a sermon on Deuteronomy 23 that started famously with this verse. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. I think many of you probably, that became a memory verse for you and you've often meditated on <laughs> its significance. Um, but but, but to, our, to our man in our story, okay, this mattered right? This teaching mattered. Um, probably this guy got in this chariot and rode perhaps for as much as 500 miles to get to Jerusalem to worship the one true God and find out this. Okay. He was excluded at least from certain places of the temple because of his uh, physical and sexual um, issues because he was a eunuch. But, you know, he still came hoping that somehow someone would make a way for him to draw near to God. And uh, I wonder if that's not why he purchased a copy of the scroll of Isaiah to read on his journey home. Um, of all the prophets... Isaiah offers the most hope to a man like this. It's 
It's interesting. If he, he were just a, he was reading Isaiah 53, if he flipped just a couple pages or unrolled a little bit further in his scroll, however that worked, um, he would have hit Isaiah 53, or 56, starting in verse 3, and he would have read these, these words. Let, no, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Okay. So you get the sense, don't you, that this man was being drawn, being drawn to God in an irresistible way, searching for hope that somehow he could know God, drawn from another culture, from another race, far away from where the gospel was currently being shared. 500 miles by chariot. He bought a, he bought a scroll of Isaiah in, in searching for God which was not, there were no Lifeway bookstores. This was probably a very expensive item that he picked up. There were no downloads. And I, I believe with all my heart that there are people like this today. Okay? People that God is drawing irresistibly to himself. Michael Ramsden is a co-worker with Ravi Zacharias, and he tells this true story about a minister from the nation of Iran. As this minister was driving with his wife, they stopped in a small Iranian village to purchase some water. And before entering, the minister noticed a man holding a machine gun leaning against the wall outside the store. The minister's wife looked at the man's face and the gun, then put a Bible in her husband's hand and said, give that man this Bible. Okay, you get the picture? Her husband looked at the man, his menacing beard and his machine gun, and replied, I don't think so. Um, but she persisted. I'm serious. Give it to him. Please give him the Bible. Trying to avoid the issue, the husband said, okay, I'll pray about it. And he went into the store, purchased the water, climbed back into the car and started to drive away. His wife looked at him and said, I guess you didn't give him the Bible, did you? And looking straight ahead, he replied, no, I prayed about it and it wasn't the right thing to do. She quietly said, you should have given him the Bible. And then she bowed her head and started praying. And at that point, he turned around and told his wife, fine, if you want me to die, I will. And when this minister returned to the store, the man with the machine gun was still standing against the wall. And the minister approached him and placed the Bible in his hand. And when the man opened it and saw it was a Bible, he began to weep. He says, I don't live here. I had to walk for three days in order to get to this village. But three days ago, an angel appeared to me and told me to walk to this village and wait until someone had given me the book of life. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this book. 
See, I believe that there are people like this today. Okay? I am counting on it. Okay? I leave in eight days for India for three, three weeks betting on it. I am hoping and praying on that trip to have a eunuch encounter. That's a terrible way to say that. Um, <laughs> to encounter someone like this eunuch, right? Right? Someone who is being drawn to Christ by the work of the Spirit irresistibly. I want to meet some of the people that our six families living in India right now from North Wake are meeting who are these kinds of people. They can see God at work, drawing them to faith. But let me be clear. You don't have to go to India to find someone like this man. Someone being drawn by God. Because for those of us who are followers of Christ, we were all this man one t- at one time, weren't we? This is our story, that God arranged relationships and circumstances. And some of you can remember exactly the time and place where you met somebody and they spoke to you of Christ, and it's like a switch flipped on. Can you remember that? And you don't have to know ahead of time. Okay? You don't have to say, well, I think that guy's a eunuch, spiritually speaking. Okay? He didn't, Philip didn't know. He didn't know ahead of time. He didn't know why he went to that road. He didn't know why, what was going to happen when he went to the chariot. He didn't know that God had drawn this guy from 500 miles away to get a scroll of Isaiah so he could be reading it about Christ at that moment. He didn't know. He just knew that God wanted him to approach him and speak of Christ. That's all he knew. See, we're not all looking for people sitting in the back of limos reading the Bible aloud. But you have to believe that God's at work all around in your neighborhood, where you work. He is drawing people in your families. He is drawing people irresistibly to faith at work now in ways that you and I don't even know about, like you did each one of us. And these family members, these co-workers, some of them, these neighbors, they they are just waiting for somebody to help them make sense out of it. There are what we might call draw-ease everywhere. People being drawn everywhere. And one of the concerns of our elders this year is that we would be, we would be people of faith in this regard. And we would be obeying God in this matter in our neighborhoods and in our families and at our schools and on our soccer teams. That we would look at our neighbors and coworkers differently. That we would, as God's asked us to step out of our comfort zone, we would be prepared to speak of Christ in a gracious and winsome and loving way, and we would do, do that. Who is God drawing to faith in your world? 
Who is he prompting you to speak of Christ with? This morning, are you ready and willing to obey like Philip? As we get ready to celebrate the Lord's table this morning, perhaps there's someone on your mind and on your heart that you believe Christ would have you reach out to in the name of Christ. And, and as God gives opportunity to speak of Christ to them. As you come to the Lord's table, um, be a good time as you treasure Christ and worship Christ here to ask the Father one day to let them join you at this table as followers of Jesus, to pray for them. And to make yourself available to be useful in the Father's hands this year in this way. So if you'll bow with me in prayer, we'll, we'll approach the table together.